What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today, we're joined by my roommate, Will, who I've talked about numerous times on this podcast, and I, we still haven't had him on yet, but he is here today. You, know, you guys know we're going to be talking golf because Will's a big golf guy, but he's also going to be talking some NBA with us as well today. That's the two topics we've got on hand, talking about the Masters and then talking about NBA playoffs coming up because um, we got two playoff I mean, two play in games tonight and then playoffs are pretty much set. So, yeah, it's going to be a fun episode today. Will is finally on. He hasn't been on this this whole time. And I talk about him like every other episode, basically, at this point. So that's that's how it's going to go. Matt, how are you? Yeah, the Masters was crazy. And and Will went, which is uh, which is going to be great to hear from him. Um, and uh, and yeah, I mean, it was it was a, it was a crazy spectacle. It wasn't I feel like, you know, it, it definitely wasn't the the most down to the wire and, and crazy spectacle things, you know, that happened um, because we, you know, we essentially had almost a wire to wire winner. Um, but I think that almost makes it kind of crazier because of the fact that, you know, that, that Scotty Scheffler was able to do so well, despite all the pressure uh, that was on him and being so young and everything too. So um, yeah, so it, it was a great tournament. And then like Hayden said, the NBA, play, uh, NBA playoffs are, are kind of starting. I think what we're going to do, cause I was going to say for this, for this episode, we should do like our full bracket. Um, but I'm thinking we should do that next Tuesday. The only yeah. thing is games one and two, I think for most of the series will have been either played or playing uh, by next Tuesday. So like kind of a week from now, um, because we're going to have a special episode, really, really cool special episode on Saturday. Um, and then, and then next Tuesday, I think, I think by that point, and it's the first round too. I mean, if, you know, if, if, if one of the teams is up 2-0, like whatever, we can kind of pick however we think. But yeah, I think this one, we definitely want to focus on uh, uh, kind of wrapping up the Masters, giving our thoughts on on not only how it went, but just specific golfers as well. And then also kind of talking about wrapping up the NBA season. Then we'll kind of focus on the playoffs once we get back next Tuesday. Yeah, that's exactly right. Now, you guys have been waiting for it. I'm going to hand the microphone over to Will just to kind of introduce himself. You guys pretty much know who he is by now, but yeah, just to introduce himself. And then I guess you can just get right into the Masters because that's where we all want to hear about. So go ahead, Will. All right, guys. I'm, uh, I'm Will Naya. I'm Hayden's roommate. I uh, got a little unfortunate with that, but um, we're, we're still here. Um, I'm the same year as Hayden here at UVA. We're, uh, we're working hard, but also having fun and watching as much sports as we can. Big sports guys. Um, and I, my, my thing is golf. So it was really a dream come true to go to the masters this weekend, not only for that, but just spend time with my dad that I hadn't seen a lot. So that was a lot of fun. And I think we're just going to talk a lot about the masters, like not only how it went in terms of the tournament, but what it's really like to be inside the ropes. Yeah, that's, that's definitely right. And, um, I think a lot of you guys are really going to benefit from will talking about what it's like to be there because i think a lot of people think it's not i think i know that a lot of people think that it's like you know this really proper event which it is it, it definitely is and it has lots of traditions that are you know that are that are met every year and it tries to stay with tradition as much as it can um but there are some like kind of freaky behind the scenes things that go on that will has given me a, a little sneak peek to, but I don't even know the full story. So yeah, I'm, I'm honestly just going to hand it over to him to talk about what it's like, what the experience is like, what the spectacle is like actually being there as opposed to just watching on TV. 
and even yeah. go so into as Hayden said, and go into how much kind of what days you went, what maybe the feel was different or, or whatever too. Like, I think kind of just the overall like general scope of your trip, but then also kind of like Hayden was talking about the, the, the really the behind the scenes stuff that, that nobody's really going to get unless you go there. So headed down on Friday afternoon after my class, um, drove down there from Charlottesville. It's about seven hour drive. So not too bad. Made one stop, made it there around 8 PM and then, um, getting excited. The nerves were there. Um, and then, so I knew this all along, but, but the plan was that we were, me and a couple other college age guys were going to get up at three in the morning on Saturday morning uh, and meet at this house and grab all the chairs we could. And we were to show up at Augusta National at approximately 3.30 in the morning. Why would we do that? First tee time's not until about 10.20 a.m. So that makes no sense. No sense at all. But Here's the thing. So the Masters, very proper event, right? Everyone's good manners, all of that. But in order to get there, if you want to be front row on 18 or front row on three in these prime positions next to the green, you got to hire some people to put out the chairs for you before everyone else shows up. So that's exactly what we did. We got to Augusta at 3.30 and sat outside the gate in 40 degrees until 7 a.m. Because if you're not sitting out there, you're not going to be the first ones in. So we waited in the cold in our sweatpants and hoodies because you don't got to be in golf attire then. And then they open the gates. First thing I see when they open the gates, Augusta's perfect, right? They got a machine designed to like take like to dust the rocks off the road. If a if if like a piece of pine straw fell from a tree, there was a guy coming over with a broom to sweep it off because they couldn't have that there. Same. That that that's what you think of the Masters when you see it. And so we ran in there. When I say ran, I mean ran. And we we're all going in there carrying six chairs, and we're running. And people are sticking their legs out trying to trip you, <laughs> moving trash cans in front of you so you fall over it or in it. It's all out war. And once you get past the guards, it's like you're not really allowed to run, but you can speed walk. And we speed walked all the way to the green where we had to. And we probably got front row on 18 by maybe about 10 seconds because everyone's going full speed. So that was an experience in itself. And I was pretty tired the rest of the day, but the adrenaline from being at the Masters was, was something else. So I pushed through. Yeah, dude, that's that's crazy to hear, because, again, like you think that when you watch the Masters on TV, you you look at all the the patrons and spectators and you're like, OK, well, you know, they're they're sitting quietly in their seats. Another thing is that you can't have your phone inside. It goes, I didn't know that before Will told me. So no one's on their phones. You know, they're all watching super intently on the golfers themselves, you know, around the greens and, and you know, fairways and everything like that. But yeah, like one thing that you don't really think of is the the hardship that they go through to get the chairs. Yeah. <laughs> How you actually get, all, you know, by the green. And it's it was crazy to hear that from him when he first told me, because I was like, dude, that that seems so non Augusta like, you know, what I'm saying so 
Yeah, that was yeah. really crazy. And and I definitely because I was actually we and Hayden were we spent the weekend together, and so Hayden actually told me about how Will was saying, you know, you got to get up and get there at three thirty in order to to get your seat. And we were kind of trying to go back and forth because I I don't think Hayden had gotten the full explanation explanation yet. Um, because I was like, I'm I'm surprised they're letting people on the course that early because otherwise people would just be camping out and like, you know, ripping the place up. Um, so it makes sense that they kind of have like it barricaded until a certain time and then they let everyone else in. But yeah, I'm sure that I'm, I'm sure that was a that was a crazy experience. It's almost like it's like a it's like a very like way bigger and and more important version of like the when you go to like the beach for a week and there's you know you have the vacation house or whatever and like and like families are out there at six a.m. on the beach like setting up their tent and like taking all the chairs and taking all the spots and you're like dude it's not that serious now for the masters it is very serious and is well worth it so i'm sure that that was kind of the the cool part about it um and especially being on 18 i mean that's like that's probably the hardest place to be uh you know anywhere on that course so so it is really cool that you got there i want to ask one thing because i do and hayden mentioned the cell phones i thought and you, you, you probably, I mean, obviously, you know, kind of tell me what's up here, but um, I don't think you're not allowed to have your cell phone on the course, right? Or, or maybe like you are for emergencies or whatever, but what, what's kind of the, what's kind of the deal with cell phones? No cell phones, not at all. Yeah. Not during, during the practice rounds, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you can bring a legitimate camera, but that's, that's, as, that's as close as you can get. So on the course, in case you have an emergency, there are phone banks. It's free, complimentary. You go, you can dial, you just, you get, you just got to know their number yeah. and just have their contact, but you can go and call as many times as you want. So if you need to, you can, but it's an unreal experience seeing like no phones, no one, because you, you see golf tournaments, every other tournament of the year, all you're seeing is the flash button going off. No one's actually watching the swing. So just to be like in that serene environment was, was crazy. Well, and I think too, that, that plays into I mean, obviously, like the spectacle as we've been talking about, but I think too, like it helps, I don't know, at least from what I've heard, it helps the golfers, I think, to a to a large extent, because it literally is just people and, and golf. And, and it's not even that many people. And so you're really only focused on the golf, like, I, you know, to the point where like media fans, like nobody's even allowed on the on the range, right? Like on the driving range or anything. So when when players are practicing before their rounds, there's no one around them. And so to a certain extent that that's kind of where you see, uh, you know, I think kind of the, the, the true talent always kind of ends up rising to the top at Augusta. Um, and especially, you know, like we saw what, you know, when Tiger won in 28, 2019, when it's like, Oh, he's come back from two years. He doesn't have a chance. Right. But it's like, He'd already won it four times before. He knew exactly what it took to win something like that. He's also like the best golfer in like the history of the world. Um, but but you think, you know, that there's going to be so much pressure and so many, you know, so many eyes on him. And yes, like obviously there's the TV coverage. But when it comes to just like being on the golf course as a as a professional golfer, where in most places, I mean, me and Hayden talked a lot about the Phoenix Open and uh, the waste management in Phoenix, where, you know, you're getting screamed at. There's beer cans getting thrown at you. It's like that I'm sure that's extremely distracting. Um, and it's funny because Scotty Scheffler also won that tournament. So he was obviously able to, you know, kind of, kind of wade through, through no matter what happened. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that's a really cool, cool aspect to it, is that there is a, a huge level of privacy that I think allows the golfers to kind of get into their best state of minds too. Um, so, so yeah, so I, that, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. I wanted to clarify that because I, I thought that was the rule, but I wasn't, I wasn't sure how like the emergency thing would work out and stuff like that. Um, so if, if you, if Hayden doesn't have anything else to say right now, I, I'd love to just hear some of these crazy stories. Yeah. Well, I was, I was actually going to go into, and, and I was going to get Will to talk about kind of the dynamic of like how you spectate 
the, the Masters when you're there. Because I think, you know, on TV, we see you can if you go on masters.com while the masters is going on what you get a broadcast of you know you get a broadcast of of amen corner you get a broadcast of holes 15 and 16 um of four five and six and then you get a yeah featured groups uh broadcast as well and, and then you get and when the actual broadcast comes on at three usually i think 2 p.m is is on su- it is on sunday but yeah when when that comes on then you can watch the actual broadcast everything like that so masters.com gives you pretty much everything but it definitely is different being there. And, and I don't even know how you, I don't know if you like follow certain golfers around. It, it, it seems like people do that. Um, but I just want to get, get Will to talk about what he did there because like, I mean, you know, I, I don't even know if he just stayed on a green or if he followed a certain golfer around or what, but yeah, just go ahead, Will. Okay. Um, so my favorite player in the world is Tommy Fleetwood. I don't, he's kind of under the radar, but he he's really fun to watch. Great guy. Makes fun YouTube videos with Team TaylorMade. So I've just kind of fallen in love with the guy. So on Sunday, uh, I, I just followed him the whole time. I watched pretty much every shot he hit, which was a lot of fun. You see how a guy navigates every hole, how they do it differently. And like on a broadcast, you might see one or two shots from Tommy Fleetwood, unless he's close to the lead. So following a guy under the radar and being able to be so close to his shots because he, there's not a huge crowd, was pretty unreal because everyone in this tournament is incredible at golf. Like in, in the, the, the difference is, is minimal. So you're watching great golf, no matter what group you're watching. I, I lean towards doing that as opposed to following a group with Tiger Woods in it, where you're never seeing anything he does. So, so that's, that's what I did for the most part on Saturday. It was a little more sit still. We had great, we had a great seat on uh, number three. So we sat there and watched all the groups come through, watched Tiger Woods come through. He, uh, he was walking, walking down the hill, and you could, you, could, you could see him wincing, which is never, never a good thing to see. But we, we hear a lot that he struggles on the downhill with putting that weight on that right foot. So that was crazy to see. Um, and we're going to talk about, a little bit about Tiger Woods in a little bit. So talk more about that later. Yeah, for sure. That's, and, again, that's, that's really cool to hear about that because, again, a lot of people don't know what it's like to actually be at the Masters, what it's like to be at a golf tournament in general, because I assume that, you know, a lot of other golf tournaments are similar in, in terms of, of some people staying around the green, some people following groups around and everything like that. So, yeah, it's, it's really cool to hear about that. Before we get into, meaning Will and I get into kind of our, our thoughts on the play, I I did kind of forget about the the cool stories that Will has. I know that Will has one cool story about, um, about the almost albatross that happened and how, you know, he saw that, but yeah, well, go ahead and just kind of share, share your stories and, and kind of, we talk about surprises from talking on, I mean, from seeing it on TV, but there's many more surprises in person. So yeah, just talk about experiences, patrons, maybe that were, you know, getting a little too, uh, getting a little too tipsy or whatever like that. So yeah, just, just share anything like that. Okay, I've, I think I've got two main stories that I want to talk about. First one Hayden just mentioned with the almost albatross. So there was one albatross on number two leading up to this tournament, and that was Louis Oosthuizen in 2012, I think it is. And so I was sitting, I was sitting front row at number two on Sunday, and Harry Higgs comes along. He's playing with Lee Westwood, I think. Yeah. 
Harry Higgs and Lee Westwood. And Harry, actually, both of my stories are from this same pairing. So Harry Higgs, he hits a long iron into the number two, par five down the hill. And a lot of the players are hitting great shots here, but nothing was like this. His shot lands middle of the green, and it just is tracking. It keeps tracking. It keeps tracking. It keeps tracking. And it's like it finishes maybe two inches away from the hole. And, like, everyone was, like, exploding with, like, excitement and stuff. I thought it might just fall in from the earth shaking, but it didn't. And he tapped in for eagle, tipped his cap, crowd was going crazy, which is really cool to see because you think of Augusta as, like, oh, only golf claps, keeping it tame. But, like, it gets pretty rowdy when you see, like, a once in a once in a great wild kind of shot like that. So that was pretty exceptional to see, especially being there. Um, and then my other story comes from the other guy in that group, old Lee Westwood, mid forties guy. And this was at hole 15, which is another par five. And he was taking this on in two, like most of the guys, he flails it way out to the right. And it's coming down probably 15 yards to my like seven o'clock. And it shatters a guy's beer cup, like shatters it. It goes right through, comes out the other side. And this guy is like, he's livid. He is not happy. He lost his beer, even though Augusta, they've like kept prices the same as they were before inflation and all that. So you can get a pimento cheese sandwich for $1.50, barbecue chicken sandwich, $3. Crazy. A beer for $2.50, I think it is. I don't know. I didn't get any. But um, so this guy's beer shatters, spills, all that. Lee Westwood comes along and this guy's like, yo, Lee, can you grab me? And can you like give me a couple bucks to get a beer? Lee doesn't say anything. He's mad about this shot. And he's like, why is this guy even talking to me? Lee then proceeds to chunk his next shot about 15 yards into the bunker. And he is like mad, mad, mad. And then he just about holds his bunker shot from there. And that's what these guys do. They, they find a way to recover from any situation. But that was pretty crazy to see. And, like, cool to see an interaction between a player and, 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 a, uh, and, a, and a patron. So that was fun. Yeah, no, I <laughs> – dude, that's, like – that's actually so funny because whenever I picture a golf fan at, a, you know, at some kind of golf event, I usually picture them <laughs> just like holding a beer and yeah, either on their phone or like indulging in some kind of personal indulgence, like not really caring about the golfers at all, heckling the golfers, you know, however they want. And uh, yeah, it was that, that definitely is cool to hear that Lee Westwood kind of just didn't pay him any attention and didn't even give him the time of day because that's, that's how it should be because yeah, dude, like, it wasn't like he was trying to, you know, smash your beer cup. That Yeah, there's no way. And Lee is, like, known around the tour to be, like, one of the best guys. Like, super, like, gentlemanly, just great guy, great dad. He's He's got his wife carrying his bag, which is – that's a pretty cool dynamic. Uh, I don't know really how that works. You can't get too mad at your caddy, I feel like, if they make a bad call. But I don't know how much caddying she's doing rather than just being a support. So, it's pretty fun. Yeah, that's that's pretty awesome to hear. I didn't even know that. But yeah, I, I didn't know that about Lee Westwood either. I don't know much about him because he is on the older side of golfers and I didn't really get into golfing until recently. So, 
yeah, that's that's really cool to hear. Matt, what do you think? Yeah, it is. It, and I think kind of just even that that like insight of being there, but, you know, like even if right, you watch it on TV and it's like, OK, cool. Like Harry Hicks hit a hit a close shot. Um, but I'm sure that like being there and like you said, well, to kind of see the spectacle as it appeared um, is, is crazy because, right, you, you're technically whispering, you know, witnessing history. Right. So um, to kind of see that happen you know in front of your face and then obviously with the with the beer can thing that that's 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 pretty funny because it's i i'm sure that's the type of stuff that happened but yeah i, I definitely agree with you guys like that guy shouldn't be mad at lee westwood like it's not his fault he's i mean he he so yeah i i definitely i definitely think that's uh that's pretty funny yeah of course and <laughs> will actually has the the shot pulled up on his computer right now if you go on masters.com you can you can literally see every shot by every single player from the field on, on the weekend. Like you, you can pick which round you want and like, or you can pick which round you want to see and then which shot from which golfer you want to see. So literally like if you didn't watch any of the masters, you could go right now and see every single shot from every single player in the masters, which is pretty cool. If you go on, um, if you go on masters.com, Will has a picture right now up of the broken, like he's like the guy's holding up his broken, uh, his, his broken cup. Something that I prefaced a lot, uh, you know, kind of in the week leading up to the masters and the week of the masters was the, the craziness with the weather. Right. And so it had rained there, you know, basically all week up until Thursday, thankfully it didn't, it didn't rain anytime Thursday through, uh, through Sunday, but that made the course really soft. Right. And so what that does is, you know, when you hit the ball, the ball doesn't roll when it hits the ground. And then in addition to that, they had also lengthened the course and, and kind of moved some tee boxes back and, and, and shifted some pin, pin placements and stuff to make the course longer, even to begin with, then you had the rain, which made it, you know, made the course soft. And so the ball doesn't roll. So, so really this is kind of what I was saying is like, it, it, you're going to have to be able to hit the ball pretty long in order to really have a chance of contention here. And, and we saw some of the, you know, better guys on tour who, 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 you know, who have won before have won this season and have been playing really well. They weren't playing well at all. You know, this masters, I mean, we, you know, like, like a guy like Jordan Spieth, right. He's, he's not, he's kind of sneaky long, but he's not crazy long off the tee. He's more known for his irons and his putting, which he can't put worth a lick right now. And his shots all messed up. And, and so, you know, again, kind of another secondary demise of Jordan Spieth coming up here, I think, but, um, but yeah, a guy like that guy, like Daniel Berger, guy like Abe answer, right? Like these guys who are, are very much sharp, shorter, sharp shooters in terms of hitting their irons well and, and do and scrambling and putting and stuff like that. But when you can't hit it long off the tee, especially at a place like Augusta, when you're, you know, your lie really kind of is, is going to influence how you score on that hole. We saw it affect them. And so, you know, you, you did see the guys like Dustin Johnson, Colin Morikawa, Rory McIlroy, Shane Lowry, like these guys who are bombing off the tee, they're the guys who end up in the top 10, top 20, Will Zalatoris, right? Like these guys end up in the top 10, top 20 competing for the lead simply because yes, they have good game all around, which again, is another thing I talked about. If, if you're struggling in one of those aspects, you're not going to you know compete or even place well at Augusta. But in addition to having a solid game around the green with your, you know, with your short to mid long irons, whatever like that, you have to be able to hit the ball long. And so that's really what we saw. And so um, it, it was, it was definitely interesting. And, and obviously like, you know, I think Saturday was Saturday was definitely the worst in terms of, you know, there was like 25 mile an hour winds and it was uh, you know, it was really crazy. And all pretty much everyone shot uh, over par, obviously, except for, except for Scotty Scheffler and, uh, and Cam Smith. But um 
But yeah, I, I don't think there was anything really surprising. I mean, you know, Sunjay M was your first round leader. He's been playing really well. He, you know, he this whole year he won the Shriners back in the fall. So like he's been playing well. Um, and then you had, you know, you had Cam Smith and Scotty Sheffield were pretty much the only two kind of duking it out, especially for the last couple of days there. Um, and, and again, no, no surprise there. Scotty Scheffler won three times on tour this calendar year prior to coming to the Masters. Cam Smith, Cam Smith won the Sony back in January in Hawaii. He also won the players at TPC Sawgrass. So like he's been on fire, right? And you had Shane Lowry, who's he's been playing really solid. He hasn't really gotten a win recently, but again, he's a bomber off the tee and he's playing really well. I honestly probably think he's going to win the RBC, T, RBC Heritage coming up at Hilton Head this weekend. So like that was the type of stuff where it's like, it's not super surprising what happened, but I think that based on, you know, the research that you could have done beforehand and pretty much all the information that we had gone over, it almost was a telltale sign of like, yeah, we could have kind of predicted how this tournament went. So, uh, so those are kind of my, my general thoughts again, nothing, nothing hot takey or anything, but really, you know, I don't think it really even deserves that because, you know, it kind of went as planned for, for the most part. In terms of my thoughts for, you know, on, on how the weekend went and what I was surprised about, one thing I was really surprised about was Cam Smith and how he got rattled in that last round. Um, he shot, what was it? It was hole 11 or 12, I think. 12. Yeah, it was hole 12 where um, on that par three, he, you know, shot it in the bunker. And you could you could just see the devastation on his face. Like he, I think he put his club behind his neck and he, you know, he put his head down. Like as soon as he shot it too, because he, he knew that he, that he mishit it, um, landed in the water. And yeah, he just... You, you could see that he like knew from then on he didn't really have a chance because I think at the time he was still four strokes behind behind Scotty Scheffler. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, at that point, like you can't really do much about it. I think he ended up doubling that hole. And so trip. Yeah, he actually tripled that hole. So he got a six on a part three. And then, um, yeah, that ended up being pretty much the end of it for him. And then, yeah, Rory McIlroy came up behind him. And wait, Matt, what were you going to say? I was just going to say with like regarding Cam Smith, it's. Like, yeah, you know, it sucks. And yeah, right, you know, it is kind of sad to see, right? That was pretty much his last shot. But at the end of the day, like, he was going for it. And you kind of have to in that scenario. Like, obviously, Scotty Scheffler is going to be laying up. Like, he's not going to be, you know, going all out and playing his hardest and messing up because clearly he's gotten this far. He's not going to mess up very much. And so, you know, you got to go after it and you got to take some risks. And Cam Smith tried to and it didn't work out, you know? So I think that it's it's not, I think, as sad as a lot of people are making it out to be. And because and obviously even with Scotty Scheffler four putting on 18, he still won the tournament by, you know, by, by three shots. Um, so, yeah. So I think that in regards to Cam Smith, like he's obviously a great golfer. He won the players this year. I think he's probably going to win the masters at some point. Like oh, yeah. this was just a great showing, I think. And, and obviously, you know, it sucks that he kind of wasn't able to keep it close, but if you're in that position, you got to, you got to go for it. Yeah. And, and Cam Smith is one of those guys where, if he's not rattled yet, his putting is insane. Yeah. Like he's, he's one of the best putters in the field, you know, in every tournament. And that's putting is like one of the most important, if not the most important thing in golf, you know, especially it's, at Augusta it's, too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cause the greens are crazy. If you guys don't know, most of the greens at Augusta, you basically have to land it within four, like three or four feet of the, of the hole or else you're going to be rolling off the green basically. Like you can, yeah, it's, if you put too much spin on it, it will roll into a ridge and it'll roll up right off the green. And yeah, it's like, and a lot of the greens are elevated too. So it's a, you know, it's a big hill going up to the, going up to the green. So if you roll off the green, then you're going to roll down that hill and you're going to have to chip up the hill where you can't see the hole because the hole is, you know, too far above you because of the elevation you, 
you don't have eyes on the hole while you're swinging or like right before you swing. So that makes it a lot tougher. Scotty Scheffler actually had a, a crazy chip on what was it? It was uh, it was like hole five or six in, in the final when, round where he chipped in for birdie. Yeah, it was on three. Yeah, yeah, he okay, was okay, yeah, because it was like he started out with two pars and right. Cam Smith started out with two birdies. Two birdies. And he was like yeah. on his tail, and you're like, oh, is Scotty Scheffler gonna lose it? And he chips in for birdies. Like, nah, he's got this. <laughs> yeah, that was that was crazy because him, him and Cam Smith ended up being in the same exact place on that hole for for yeah. birdie. They were like, you know, it was they basically had the same birdie chip, and then Scotty Scheffler made it first, and then Cam Smith went it, and it was like, or he he hit it after, and it was like, how do you back up, you know, the the shot that Scotty Scheffler just made? And so I think Cam Smith ended up getting, I think he got a bogey on that hole actually. So, um, so yeah, that was, that was like, I think the momentum shift that Scotty Scheffler needed. And then from then on, he, he really just played a, a really good round kind of like Matt said, conservative so that he could keep his lead, um, but not too, too conservative. Cause if you get too conservative in golf, then that's not really a good thing. And uh, that last, dude, that last hole was so funny. Like <laughs> I was, I was watching it and I was actually on the phone with my aunt and yeah, he just kept on missing putts. You could tell that he was just ready to, to to put on the green jacket and he was just missing putts and he doubled the last hole. But um, yeah, it was still a great win by Scotty Scheffler. Uh, well, what do you what do you think about the field other than Cam Smith and Scotty Scheffler? Yeah, let's let's what do you because we saw Rory make a run, right? I mean, he shot a historic 64 on Sunday and, and afterwards kind of was saying like, you know, this is the best I felt about golf in a while. And we saw even, you know, for almost two years, I think he hadn't won a tournament. He won. I forget what tournament was last fall, but and he like was like crying and stuff after he won it. And it was kind of it's kind of weird because it's like this is you know, one of the best golfers in the world. He, you know, he had won three out of the four majors by the time he was like 23 um, and still kind of the, the masters is the one that he alluded that has eluded him for however long now he's had multiple second place finishes. And, and so he's never been able to really get it. So what was your, I don't know if you ever, if you were able to like see Rory at any point, but what are your thoughts on, on Rory? Not only kind of how well he played on Sunday, but then kind of going forward, you know, will he, will he ever win a masters? Yeah. So I, I was on two for Rory. And that, that's the only shot I saw from him. And then I saw him tee off on three. And that was before he got it all going. That was before. I don't think he – I think he birdied two and then parred three. And then he got hot from there. So I didn't, I didn't see him at his prime on Sunday. But he was, he was wearing a nice outfit, so he, he put on a show. But um, the field, I mean, I think it was a relatively young field, I think. I mean, it seems like the young guys are the guys that were close to the top. Obviously, you got uh, exceptions to that, like Rory and Charles Schwartzel and Kevin Na. But for the majority, like it's it's young guys. It's like 27 and under, which is great to see. The future of golf is definitely in good hands. Um, and then you've also got like huge names that did not perform well at all. For example, Bryson, who says Augusta is a par 67 for him and then proceeds to shoot 13 over in two days doesn't make much sense and that's also kind of an exception to what we were talking about earlier with like you got to hit it far if you want to win this week which he definitely does but it's the other parts of the game that are lacking so I mean it was a great tournament I think as I said the future of golf is in great hands with these young guys um, that really know how to play the game but um, it would have been nice for a little closer finish but Cam Smith put the pressure on him early on Sunday and Scotty showed that He's, he's better than everyone else. He is also, he's, he's made $10 million this year. And I think he's played 13 events. 
So you do the math there. That's like $800,000 a week. And he's also, I think he's $4 million ahead of anyone else on the money list this year, which is, that doesn't even, that you, you never see that besides prime tiger, like a few years back, but it's unreal. Yeah. And there's a ton of money to be made in golf as we've kind of, you know, already stored in the past. But I think the crazy part too is, and this is where I thought you were going with this, Will, he's won nine or $10 million this calendar year so far. So basically, you know, in, in three and a half months, um, he's been a, he's been on, he's been a pro for, and on the current foreign ferry tour and whatever, like for, I think three or four years now, I mean, again, he's only 24 or 25 to begin with, but yeah, he's been a pro for, I think for three years in the entire, like two years and like, nine months or whatever that that he was a pro he'd made like nine million dollars and he's made the same amount in three it, like that took him three and a half years to get or almost four years to get that he's done in in four and three and a half months so it's 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 insane the run that he's on right now yeah no i i, I think you're exactly right and again scotty's one of those guys that he he's he's sort of like bryson in the sense that he's like he's got a weird swing and or i mean bryson doesn't have a weird swing but bryson is trying to bring a new aspect to the game of golf, you know, involving like lots of physics and lots of math and everything. And Bryce and, and, and Scotty Scheffler is one of those guys that he's not, you know, he's, he's got kind of like an unorthodox swing. Um, he, he kicks that left. I mean, that right foot backwards. It's almost like he's bowling. Like he has like a bowling stance when he, when he finishes um, on his swing. Yeah. It's, it's really weird. And off the tee a lot, he was trying to like, he was trying to, it looked like he was trying to flick the club and draw it, but it, it wouldn't, like a lot of times it wouldn't draw. It would, it would just kind of, it would even fade sometimes it looked like. So that was, yeah, that was a little bit weird. Um, But it was, yeah, it was like, it was very, I don't know why. I mean, he, obviously it would be like a dog leg left that he was trying to, that he was trying to draw the ball into. But a lot of times when he did that weird flick of the wrist, then would try to like almost pull the club left, it would, the ball would go right. Like it, it would either stay straight or even fade a little bit. So that was a little bit weird. I think he, maybe he was trying to overdo it with that. I, it looked like it a little bit with it. It looked like a, just like a haymaker kind of swing. It didn't even really look like a golf swing. Um, at least his, his swing when he does his little boulder stance after, after he finishes, like that's, that at least looks like a golf swing and he has, he has a nice finish, but it's yeah, that, that those weird drives were a little bit out of, uh, you know, out of play for me, but yeah, it, it, again, like will just, will just said to me, I mean, it works. So it's like, it's, it's either that or he knows you know. what he's doing. He knows yeah, what exactly. He's doing. Like, yeah, we can't be saying anything because we didn't win the master. So uh, if that's, I mean, Matt, do you want to talk about Tiger a little bit or, or are you pretty much done? Yeah. I mean, I think it was a good showing. I'm not even going to spend too much time on it. Like obviously he made the cut. Most people thought he wouldn't make the cut. I didn't think he would make the cut. Um, but I think that just his injuries, his, however he was feeling coming back after not playing for so long, it caught up with him, right? He shot back-to-back 78s on the weekend. Um, and, but I think that the fact that he was coming off, despite shooting badly, he was coming off of, you know, off a of Sunday and almost in last place. And he's smiling and saying, you know, that I feel great. And I'm, I'm glad I'm very happy with the way I played. He loved to see that. And I think that's probably the best thing that we could have gotten out of this. Like if he had shot back-to-back 78s Thursday and Friday, you know, you would have been a little bit, it would have been a little bit questioning, like, you know, is, is, is he really able to even play anymore? Um, but the fact that he made the cut at the masters, like he, I think he's going to be fine. He, he'll probably take a few more months off, might play the PGA uh, next month. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, it was, it was, I think it was, it was great at first and people were like, Oh my God, he's back. And then it was kind of just, it fell off. But, you know, again, I, I didn't expect even him 
you know, to be playing on Sunday. So the fact that he did, it was great. And I'm, I'm glad that kind of, you know, we were able to see him back on the course. Yeah, it's like no doubt a success in my mind, regardless of his performance on the weekend. None of us expected to see him perform on the weekend at all. So the fact that he was able to do that was incredible. A lot of people before the week started were saying this would be like the greatest comeback in the history of sports if he was to somehow pull off, pull this off and get the green jacket this year, which, yes, 100 percent is true. But I think this was pretty good too, to make the cut against the like 95 other of the best golfers in the world when you're at 50% of your capacity at best is unreal. So, and he, and he did announce after the tournament that he will be playing in the open because St. Andrews is his favorite course. So that is exciting. I think he's definitely going to take a few months off until then and just work on himself, but it'll be great to see him there. Yeah, he was, I think it was like his post weekend interview when he was, um, when he was talking with whoever the, person interviewing him was but yeah they were like they were like so what's the plan tiger for for after the tournament he was like lots of ice (laughs) that's true dude like you yeah i mean he he's playing on a on on two legs that were like that were broken you know not even a year ago so yeah it's it it's definitely a success for him um good for him for coming back and you know we hope that he has a speedy recovery after this tournament so he can do well, um, you know, you know, in the, in the championship. So, um, yeah, that's going to take us over to NBA now. So the playoffs are pretty much set besides the few playing games that we have yet to be played tonight. But by the time you guys are listening to this, it'll probably be pretty much set. Um, we're also not going to be talking about anything that has to do with the play in games, assuming like nobody that's still playing tonight AKA the cat, I mean, the, um, the Spurs and the Pelicans and like, none of them are going to be, yeah, the, the Hawks and the Hornets, like none of them are really going to be in contention far into the playoffs after the first round. So um, yeah, so we're not going to be talking about any, any, any of that stuff, but we're going to be doing a little bit of an overreaction slash not overreaction segment. It's kind of stolen from ESPN, but, uh, but we're going to, but we're coming up with our own thing. So we came up with four statements here and if you guys don't know the concept and you've never you know, watched this segment on ESPN, then we're going to we're going to make four statements. And they're they're just general statements about the playoffs that are a little bit controversial that, you know, can have two answers. And all of us are going to give an answer either if we think it's an overreaction, meaning we think that that statement is probably not going to happen or probably not true. Or we're going to say not an overreaction and say, OK, well, you know, that may be a hot take, but I think it really, really could happen. Right. So like it has a good, good chance of happening. So that's the idea here. I'm going to first, I'm going to give uh, the floor over to Matt with this first statement here. So our first uh, overreaction slash not overreaction statement is the Celtics have a legit chance to make the finals. This was a tough one. At first I, you know, I was reading this, I was thinking about it. I'm like, there's no shot. Like this is a complete overreaction. Celtics are not going to make it to the finals. The more I think about it though, the more I realize that because, and, and the reason for me thinking at first, you know, this is, this is a complete overreaction. I don't agree with this at all. The reason is because obviously, you know, we saw they were terrible for the first half of the season and, and, to the point where like for most of the time we thought they wouldn't even be in the playoffs and here they are, you know, fighting for the one seed and just got beat out right at the end. So like the way that they've been playing as of more recently, as they kind of are playing as a team and everything like that, um, 
I think they legit, I think they can get to the finals. Now, again, and the the main reason, obviously, besides kind of them playing well as of recently, is that they've done it before with this pretty much same, you know, core group of guys. Like, yeah, you know, a couple times you had, you had Isaiah Thomas, you had Kemba Walker, you had Kyrie Irving. So there was kind of a point guard uh, in there at some point, but like when Brad Stevens was coaching this team, you still had Jason Tatum. You still had uh, Marcus Smart. You still had Jalen Brown. So like, the guys that were there that have made finals where Eastern conference finals runs and NBA finals runs before are still there. So they could, they, they know what it takes to win. And, and that's a lot of what it takes kind of, you know, when you're, when you're talking about a seven game series um, or best of seven series in the NBA playoffs. So as much as I want to kind of fade the, the Celtics here and, and, and not really agree that they can make it to the finals, I actually think they really can just about how, just because of like how well they've been playing recently. And then also like, the guys that are on the team, they've made the run before and they've done it. So they have experience. Yeah, I I see. And I kind of agree with that, but I'm going to go overreaction here because if you look at where they're at in the playoff bracket, it's it's kind of sad where they're at. They're going to be playing the Nets in the first round, and then they're most likely going to be playing the Bucks in the second round. Those two teams and that's in the Bucks. That's that's the toughest road to Probably the, the finals. best two teams in the East, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's the toughest road to the finals that anybody in all of the, the West too. That's the toughest road to the play. I mean, to the finals that anybody will have. The Bucks have so much uh, experience. Matt talked about you know experience for the Celtics. Yes, they do have experience, but the Bucks also have experience. The Nets, like the Nets, you know they're they're just waiting to blow up. Um, I think that. We have and we have we actually have another topic on Ben Simmons, so I'm not going to go too much into Ben Simmons here. But yeah, I mean, they're like they're they're pretty much a, por- a perfect storm coming together and they're going to be playing the Celtics in the first round. I, I just think that the Celtics have too many things going against them. They do have a great team. They're the hottest team right now coming off of, you know, a great end to the to the regular season. But I really don't think that they're going to be able to get past both the Nets and the Bucks. So I'm going to go with overreaction. I will I will say though, if they get past both of those teams, they're probably going to win the finals. So it's 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 one of those things where like if they do get there, they're probably going to win the finals. If they don't, then it's it's yeah, it, they're just not going to make the finals. So um so I, I definitely think it's an overreaction, but there there could be some sense to not overreaction here. Um so I think the Celtics are going to win that first series. Um, I'm, I'm a big stats guy. It's my major. Um, and so I, I don't know if you guys know the website, but it's called 538 and they do a lot of statistics. Everything they do is based on stats, whether it's politics or sports. And they have given the Celtics a 78% chance to make the conference semifinals, which I think might be a little bit high when you're going against Kevin Durant in the playoffs, but 78 is pretty high. And they've given them a 31% chance of winning the whole thing which is an unreal percentage, 10% higher than the Suns, which had the best record in the NBA by a mile. So I think not an overreaction at all, just based on this. I haven't seen a lot of film on either team, but with those numbers, I feel like it can't be an overreaction. Yeah, that's a great point. And again, you can't really argue against statistics here. You know, we, uh, we, like we, Matt's a big statistics guy as well. I sort of look at them, but, and I, I, I take those into account when I find them, but, um, but yeah, I think like off the eye test, um, it just, it just looks scary for the Celtics, but statistics wise, they definitely, I mean, yeah, they're, they're the hottest team in the NBA right now. So why not 
make a run. So that's uh, th- that's going to be that statement there. So the so our second statement, like I said, is about Ben Simmons. And the statement is Ben Simmons will have a positive impact on the Nets in the playoffs. I know this is a little bit subjective and a little bit vague, but I, I couldn't really think of another way to word the <laughs> to word the statement without having it be like a little bit biased. So I'm going to hand it over to Matt here. Well, the funny thing is, no matter how you word it, it's probably going to be false. I think this is an overreaction. I could see a world where, you know, they get him the ball a lot and he's passing and, and doing a lot of the stuff and getting the ball to the scores that obviously the Nets have two of the best scorers, honestly, ever. Um, and so if you have a guy to distribute the rock like that, then sure. But I just think that, like, he hasn't played in like an entire year. And the last time he was on a court, we saw him pass up a dunk underneath the basket with nobody there. He's not right. And so the thing is like, I I don't, I don't know how you could kind of just put him in the lineup and expect everything to go. Well, he's a great talent. He's an amazing defensive player. He's, he's a great ball handler. um, And obviously, you know, gets the ball where it's supposed to be. And so this could in theory, and I understand why they did the trade because in theory, right. You know, if you're, if you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, who are two of the best scorers possibly ever, and then you have, you know, Ben Simmons, who's, you know, an amazing passer. Sure. That can work out, but like, it's not going to work out when your first game together is, you know, the first round of the NBA playoffs against the two seed Celtics who are the hottest team in the NBA. So while I do think the Nets could could win this series, could very well likely win this series, I don't think it's going to be anything close to at the hands of Ben Simmons. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with not overreaction here. Again, I, I don't think it's going to be a very big impact. It's not going to be somebody like a Kevin Durant if they were hurt and they came back and, and you know, automatically just drop 35 on any given night. So it's not going to be that much of an impact, but I think a lot of people forget that Ben Simmons is – practicing with the, with the nets like he has he, he's in practice with them he's in their practice facilities you know still he's been getting up shots for the past i don't know like few months i guess and so um yeah so i mean he's he's there practicing with them it's not going to be like he's put on the court and it's it's a foreign country to him it's like he, he's going to be out there he, he still knows how to play basketball he was a number one overall pick in in 2016 so it's like he knows how to play basketball I think it was really just Philadelphia that 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 gave him that scare um, and that, you know, kind of turned him into the weirdo he became there. But, yeah, he's in a whole different place now. He seems happy on the sidelines watching the games. And so, you know, he, he seems to be supported by his teammates. He seems to support his teammates. So I think he's going to go out there and and have a, a positive impact. Again, it may not be huge, but I, I think that he will have some kind of positive infa- impact. So I'm going to say not overreaction. Um, I think Will agrees with with what Matt said. So um, we're probably just going to move on to the third statement here, which is we will have a repeat finals matchup from last year, meaning we will have a repeat finals matchup of the Bucks and the Suns. Yeah, this is not an overreaction at all. I think this is the most likely scenario. It's what's going to happen because like you think about it, like, these were still the two best teams in the NBA. And I think that obviously both teams faced injuries. And so that's why you don't see like, well, I mean, the Suns, regardless of Chris Paul being hurt, like blew everyone out of the water, had way better records than everyone. And, you know, are the one seed and have the easiest path to the finals and are the favorites to win, to win it all. So I think that's pretty, that's a lot easier than kind of making a rationale for the bucks here, but like, 
Yeah, like they didn't have Drew Holiday for a lot of the season. It, it was kind of on and off there. Chris Middleton's been been hurt and not hurt and stuff like that too. So when you think about it, and you too, you say, oh, they're the three seed. Like they should be the one seed. Well, honestly, and there's been a lot of criticism about this or, or kind of controversy, but it seemed like they kind of fixed their schedule or at least did a little bit of trying to lose so that they could face the Bucks instead of the Nets because obviously nobody wants to face the Nets. And so in that case, I think that, you know, the Bucks are kind of flying under the radar a lot here. Didn't have the greatest record at all, but have the most talent returning. They won the championship last year. And I hadn't even mentioned this before. Um, I don't even know. It was in reference to a complete, I guess the Celtics won the topic, whatever, where, yeah, they've done this and they've gotten through it and they won the championship last year. So they have all the experience there. And yeah, I mean, if, if Giannis is on, he's hitting his free throws, the, the, the sky's the limit for, for this team. And I, again, I, like I said, I think the Suns are, are almost bona fide to make the finals coming out of the West, which is crazy to say because of the, how good the West is. But yeah, I think it's very likely that the Suns and Bucks end up in the finals game. See, Matt, you say that the Bucks and the Suns is the most likely matchup. I don't know what statistics you're looking at, but Celtics and Suns appears to be the most likely matchup, at least according to the most trusted source. And so, so I mean, I'm not going to say it's an overreaction because I think either the Celtics or the Bucks are going to come out of the East. But I think that maybe we're forgetting about the Celtics a little bit, um, just a little. I mean, the Bucks are great, and but so are the Celtics. I think it's going to come down to one of those two teams. So not an overreaction, but also not an overreaction. Um, I actually don't know what I just said, um, but I mean, it's Celtics or Bucks against the Suns. So I give it fifty-fifty shot either way. Yeah, so <laughs> I think what you meant to say was overreaction and also not overreaction. <laughs> but but yeah, no, I, I totally feel that because on the one side, yeah, you can say, okay, well, the Bucks have so much experience, they're going to get there. And then on the other side, you can say, well, the Celtics have such so much momentum, they're going to get there. I think it, I think this is not an overreaction. I think that we definitely could end up um, with a, you know, a Bucks Suns final, which I don't think anybody would, would be mad about because. I think if the Bucks and, and Suns get there, like it's it's one of those things in the NBA where, and we see I, we've seen this with a lot of teams where it kind of takes like one devastating loss um, in the finals and for a team to kind of come back and and win the finals, you know, in the coming year or, or next coming years or whatever like that. So usually a team that's new to the finals, um, at least you know within the recent past, has to have a loss there in order to come back and win. So, yeah. So I, I'm going to go with not overreaction here. I think that the Bucks, if they do get there, definitely have a really, really good chance of winning. Um, but I think that it, I would not be surprised at all if we saw the, both the Suns and the Bucks again in the finals. So the last statement here is overreaction or not overreaction. We should get rid of the play in tournament. This is not an overreaction. We should get rid of the play-in tournament. I don't know why. Like, it's fun. I think it's honestly just a TV thing. Like, it's 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 generated for ESPN to make more money because more people are going to watch. And it's a singular, you know, NBA game that has, like, the playoff title to it, um, but doesn't actually have really any bearing on – well, it has bearing on who's going to make it, but I, I don't know. I think it's like, why are we th- – th- there's 30 teams in the NBA – All right. And so what we're saying essentially is that two thirds of them, 20 teams out of the 30 teams should make the playoffs or should have a chance to No, like it should be 
16, which is what it usually is. That Like 16 out of 30, that's even more than half are already making the playoffs to begin with. Then you add even more when we're talking about the play-in tournament. I get it. Like if your team is hot, you can make a run and you can, you know, win a lot of games and you can go from being the 10 seed to, you know, to being the seven seed. And then, you know, you're basically whatever. I don't, I, mean, it's, I think it's like, okay, cool. That could happen. But like, how about we just reward the teams that are playing well to begin with, like the Cavs and the, and the Nets, right? I would argue that the Cavs and the Nets, given their performance over the season, the Nets were the one seed in the East, you know, for a, for a big portion of it. The Cavs were up to two, the second seed in the East for a portion of the season. And, but, and then they're going to be, you know, it's, it's basically them or like the, the Hornets or the Hawks, right? Who have had really bad seasons, right? So it's like the, the Cavaliers and the Nets are the seven and eight seed. We, I would argue that in any circumstance, based on the regular season performances, the Hawks, or, sorry, <laughs> the Cavs and the Nets both deserve to be in the playoffs over either of the Hawks or the Hornets any day of the week. And it's the same in the West, right? Like, why, why do the Pelicans have a chance to make the playoffs? They started the season one and 12. They've been horrible. Come on, people. What are we doing here? Give it the eight seeds. It's a fight till the end of the regular season because that's another thing too is if you're fighting for a playoff shot to get to the eight seed, you're going to be trying as hard as you possibly can at the end of the season to get that eight seed. But now it's like, oh, I'm just going to reposition myself so that I can, you know, purposefully play this team and I can beat them and strategically get into the playoffs as this number of seed. No, let's just make it the top eight seeds and, you know, whatever. If there's a tie, we'll figure it out. Whatever, there's tiebreakers. Eight seed, you know, 16 teams in the playoffs makes it so much easier. Yeah. I completely agree. I think the play-in tournament stinks. I really do. And I was reading one thing, and it was like, so just take a hypothetical. Say the seven seed has like a four or five game lead on the eight seed. The play-in tournament makes it like a game seven, even though they played four games better all year long. That's not fair. And I think it's great to try and get like more teams motivated to like to not tank. Like, okay, we might actually be able to make the playoffs if we can just win one or two games in, in, like, in, in crunch time. So I think that part's great, but I think the, the downsides of it where, you, where, where, where it's just not fair to a seven seed who would already be in the playoffs in any other year, they have to win another game. Um, I, and, I, I don't think it's great. Yeah, and the Cavs are a perfect example, right? Like the Cavs – you know, they're the seven seed. They deserve to be in the playoffs. Clearly they were up. They were in the, they were the two seed at some point. They were like the four seed in the East for most of the season. Then they get to the playoffs or the play in tournament. They're the seven seed. Like you mentioned, Will, like deservedly should be in the playoffs. They got to play the Nets. Well, okay, sure. The Nets, you know, obviously what all that we've said about the Nets, like you're probably going to lose that game. So yeah, they lose that game. And so now they have to play the winner of the Hawks and the Hornets and the winner of that game gets into the playoffs. It's completely life or death. You exactly right. Well, it's a game seven when like, so, right. So, so the Cavs playing, having, having this great season, nobody expected them to even be, yeah, have a shot at the playoffs here. They are deservedly should be in the playoffs. And now if they have one game where they just shoot badly against the Hawks or the Hornets or Trey young goes off for 50 points, they're out of the playoffs. And, you know, a team like the Hawks who have been extremely disappointing, who made the Eastern Conference Finals last year and shouldn't even be in the playoffs this year can can just completely overtake them for the AC. Yeah, I, I think that was a great point. Yeah, I completely agree with both of you. I think that is that statement of we should get rid of the play in tournament is completely not an overreaction. That is probably the farthest thing from an overreaction that we had today. So, I, yeah, I, I definitely am on the on the same wavelength as both of you. So I'm not even going to give my reasons why, because you already you already distinguish that so so we're going to move on from that that's going to be the episode actually 
we got we got a good hour in here today. Um, I'm really happy that Will was able to join us and stay on for for a good hour with us. Um, stay on for you know to talk some NBA because yeah, I mean, dude, Will's one of those guys that you can just talk sports with. Like, no, doesn't matter which sport he follows it. Like, you know, he, he he follows some sports more than others, obviously. But and that's the same with us. But you can talk any sport with him, and he'll he'll know something about it. So that's that's really the that that's the perk of having him as a roommate. <laughs> I would say, you know, I mean, yeah, he's, he's like a nice guy too, I guess. But um, yeah, so <laughs> yeah, he smells a little bit, but other than that, he's he's pretty cool. So yeah, really really good having him on. We'll definitely have him on sometime in the future, um, near future. It's, again, we have a lot of majors coming up in golf over the summer and everything, so we could yeah we could get some going on there with with a. A little uh, three-way Zoom interview. We're we're only doing a two-way here because uh because because Matt, I mean Will and I are in the same room, but yeah. So hope you guys enjoyed the episode. We'll be back on Saturday, like Matt said, with a really, really cool interview with um Alex Beaudry. He's an NFL agent, so that's just a little little preview to next next episode. Um, and he's got so much cool stuff to say. He was on there for a full hour with us. It's our first interview with somebody that we don't know that has gone more than like 35 40 minutes so yeah he's he's a really cool guy and you guys will definitely like what he has to say um but yeah for now we're gonna we're gonna you know slide on out for uh for for today hope you guys have a great rest of the week and we'll catch you guys on saturday